Please turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. Sermon text this morning comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. Following the reading of God's Word, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand to hear God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Susa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and, the many, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was, it was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who received the word with joy, but when they hear it, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. One of the stories that made an impact on me as a young boy was a story from the book The Cross and the Switchblade, which was about a man who had grown up in a gang in New York and had heard the gospel and left that life of sin and whose life had been completely changed. In this parable, which is the first major parable that Jesus tells in the book of Luke, it is about how the gospel can come into someone's life and change them, how they can bear fruit, how the gospel creates something new and lasting in people's lives. There are three questions I want us to answer from this text. First, what is the character of the gospel, the good news? What's it like? Second, how does it work in the lives of those who hear? And third, how does it produce fruit in your life? So first, what is the character of the gospel? Second, how does it work in the lives of those who hear? And third, how does it bear fruit in your life? 
Now, before we answer the first question, the context is that Jesus Christ has been going throughout town to town, throughout the area, proclaiming the good news. And women from all different levels of social strata, levels of society, are serving him. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, who was of Herod's household manager, Susanna, and many others, they're generous. There are many people who are depicted in the Gospels poorly. So the Pharisees and scribes are presented poorly. Roman authorities are sometimes presented poorly, especially around Jesus' crucifixion. The disciples, even the disciples, there are unflattering and poor pictures, particularly of Peter and others. But women hardly ever have a poor portrayal. They're usually portrayed very well in the Gospels. Now, having said that, I, I could say more, but having said that, what is the character of the gospel? It is like a seed, a seed that is planted. First Peter chapter 1 says that you have been born again not by perishable seed, but by imperishable seed, namely the living and enduring Word of God. Jesus will speak elsewhere of the metaphor of a seed. He talks about a mustard seed, the smallest seed in all the earth, but even though it's small, it grows larger than all the garden plants. If you think about a seed, it doesn't look like much, right? We didn't have a children's sermon this week. I kind of wish I had done one, but if I had, I would have had a a big rock and also a small seed. And I would ask the children, which which do you think is stronger, the big rock, maybe even a cinder block or something like that, or this small seed? And they'd probably say, well, the rock, because it's big and strong and heavy. But if you were to plant that rock in the backyard and water it, would it grow? If you were to plant plastic or iron, no, it wouldn't grow. But if you planted maybe an acorn or a seed that grew into a big oak tree, well, the roots of that tree would be able to break even the strongest rock. And therefore, which one is really stronger? The seed. One of the principles of the gospel is that it has the power to give us a higher order of life. We know that plants have a kind of life, but animals have a higher kind of life than plants, and we have a higher life than the the animals do. We know right from wrong. The gospel has the power to give us a higher order of life, a spiritual life, a life from God himself. Even though it looks insignificant and weak over a long period of time, it can, in fact, grow stronger, so strong that it's virtually impenetrable. So if that's the character of the gospel, how does it work in the lives of people who hear? And that's really what the parable is about. This is, to my knowledge, one of the only parables that Jesus provides the clear interpretation for. And he starts off by talking about people with hard hearts. In verse 12, It says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Sinclair Ferguson has a great quote on this. He says, wasn't the pathway the part of the field where the sower would have walked again and again carrying his seed? Every time the farmer went sowing, the ground was, was getting harder and harder until it became virtually impenetrable. 
It wasn't that the farmer wasn't there. It was that the farmer often walked there. I suspect that's true of some people. It's not never hearing faithful preaching from the Bible that leads to complacency and indifference. It's our detachment from the truth of God that leads us to being removed, distant from, perhaps even defending ourselves against the truth and its life-changing power. If you think about Pharaoh in Exodus, Pharaoh heard the direct word of the Lord, but he hardened his heart against it. We know that the Pharisees knew the Bible, but they hardened their heart. There are many people in our own East Texas culture who maybe they grew up in the church and maybe they have heard the gospel preached, maybe they know their Bible, and yet they've hardened their heart and they've abandoned it. The second group of people that Jesus focuses our attention on are people with shallow hearts. In verse 13, it says that those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root, and they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Sinclair Ferguson also has a good quote on this. There's joy mentioned here, but there's no mention of sorrow. There's no lasting breaking up of the soil. There's something underneath that allows for the immediate joy, but not for the deeper sorrow of repentance. Joy without sorrow for sin is not going to survive. So in whatever proportion they're present, they will both be present in a genuine conversion and then keep growing throughout the whole course of our Christian life. If you think about it, these are people who may want to receive good things from God, but they don't want to receive anything negative that might be for their benefit in the ultimate long run, but not for their benefit in the short run. These are people who, because they have not repented of sin, do not demonstrate any fruit. They're people who accept joy, but not sorrow, not suffering, and certainly not sacrifice. I often think of people following Jesus. They followed him. Many of them saw miracles, wanted to be healed by Jesus, but certainly not all of them repented of sin to follow Jesus Christ from the heart. If you think about athletes, people who've won the big game, and sometimes these people are eager to give all the glory to God when the spotlight is on them, but then when they don't win later on in their life or things don't go their way, they're not as eager to talk about God then. The question for us is, what kind of heart do we have? Do we have a shallow heart, a hard heart? The third group of people are people with infested hearts. In verse 14, it says, The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. These are people who have not weeded the soil in their life. The thorns and the thistles have grown up, and so there's no spiritual disciplines. Uh, there's no soul care. There's no dying unto sin and living unto righteousness. J.C. Ryle has said that the things of this life form one of the greatest dangers which beset a Christian's path. The money, the pleasures, the daily business of the world are so many traps to catch souls. 
Thousands of things which in themselves are innocent become, when followed to excess, little better than soul poisons and helps to hell. Open sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. In the midst of our families and in the pursuit of our lawful callings, we have need to be on guard. Except we watch and pray, these temporal things may rob us of, our, of heaven and smother every sermon that we hear. We may live and die thorny ground hearers. I know that in my own life, the people who have ministered most to me have all been people who have sacrificed to some degree or another the, world, the worldly pleasures and the goods of this world in order to, get, to bear fruit and share that fruit with other people. They're all people who have lived a changed life. If you had known them before, they are not the same person that they were 20 or 30 years ago. Finally, if you think, one, one last thought, Esau. Esau gave up his birthright for some stew. Demas, Demas followed Paul, but then he was in love with the present world, and so he fell away. Achan, Achan took the plunder that in the book of Joshua that he was forbidden to take. What are you most in love with? The Lord Jesus Christ is to have our affections, not just our time, but our love. That really leads us to the final question, how can it bear fruit in your life? Jesus concludes the parable by saying, the seed on the good soil stand for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering they produce a crop. If you think about what it takes to produce a crop, there are, I think there are farmers in our presence here. I'm not sure if Mike Loggins is here today, but there are many people who are farmers who will tell you that it takes a long time. I know that in my own family, the Bonner family, they planted blueberry bushes. And for a blueberry bush to bear fruit, it takes a long, long time. Two or three years, I think, before you start to see it. And then five years, from my research, you'll see some blueberries. But it won't be until eight or ten years, eight or ten years, before you have full-size blueberries. And if that's the case in the agricultural world, might it not be the case in the spiritual world as well? What kind of fruit is being talked about here? I don't think the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the kind of goals that people set for themselves, like climbing the corporate ladder. I think it's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The, the world looks at those f qualities, that fruit, and they undervalue it. They say, what good is, are those things? Nobody flips on the television to see people with great character qualities. They usually flip on the television to be entertained by people with miserable character. But we've had a number of glorious saints, and I hope it's appropriate for me to mention, who have come through our doors and lived uh, the Christian life, people like Arlena Mahaffey and Joe Engel and Robert Lewis, who are now with the Lord, and in their life demonstrated abundant fruit. No one would be able to 
know those people and say that they're not loving and they're not kind or they're not patient. They exhibited tremendous fruit. Jesus Christ said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I want you to have that kind of abundant fruit. Phil Riken puts it this way, that a heart that holds on to God's word, reading it regularly, believing what it says about sin and salvation, and living in obedience to its commands, those are the people that Jesus is speaking to at this final sentence, or this final verse. This heart is an honest heart, one that is sincere and its desire to grow in the knowledge of God. It's a good heart, one that has been made good by the grace of God. It's a patient heart, one that perseveres through life's trials without giving up on God. Such a heart will always bear good fruit because when it is planted in a good heart, the good seed of God's Word grows a harvest of love, patience, righteousness, and all the other fruits of godliness. Finally, let me leave you with this principle, that you may not have fruit in your life without a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have that kind of relationship? Jesus Christ is the great example of the seed that falls to the ground and dies. Jesus said, John 12, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus Christ could have used an example that the Bible was like fire or like a hammer, but he used a seed. And he is the Word made flesh. We see that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. What that means is that you cannot bear fruit through achievement, through self-will, through climbing a sort of ladder of willpower, it has to be grown organically by God over a long period of time. The Word of God and the Spirit of God has to sow in you the fruit that you bear. That means that you must follow the example of the ultimate seed. You must sacrifice. Jesus, the principle of Jesus Christ in His earthly life is not, you will sacrifice for me, You will die so that I will live. The principle is that I will die so that you will live. Not your life for mine, but my life for yours. When he went to the cross, he suffered, bled, and died like a seed falling to the ground to die for you so that you would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you know that that to be true? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ in your life? Are you like the rocky soil? Are you like the soil that's choked because of weeds and thistles? Let us pray that God would clear out the, the rocks in our life, that he would clear out the thorns and the thistles, that we would be those like of, of falling on good soil with noble hearts. I recognize that none of us in ourselves have good hearts. We need God to produce that heart in us, to make us willing, to make us able to believe, to make us ready to sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you that you have given us the ultimate seed who has fallen to the ground and died. 
through that seed of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his earthly life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, you have produced abundant fruit throughout the ages. We thank you and praise you that the power of the gospel is unlike any power in the earth. That where other earthly powers try to correct human life, you and you alone through your word have the power to change it, to change a heart, to make dead people alive, to take those with hardened hearts and make them good and noble hearts. We pray that you would do that here in our own life, in our own congregation, in our own community. We ask forgiveness for where we have sinned against you, where we have hardened our hearts, where we've been too interested in the pleasures of this world, where we have sought you in order to receive something worldly from you and not sought you for yourself. Help us, Lord, to bear abundant fruit the kind of fruit of the Spirit that you speak about in your word, that other people would be able to look at our life and be changed by being convicted of their own sin and drawn to your word. We pray, Lord, that the gospel would go forth not only here but throughout the world and that genuine, heartfelt fruit in keeping with repentance would bless not only you and honor you but would bless those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen.